I always love when the Lord weaves our lives and our plans together. Uh, you, know what I'm, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very relational of our God. You know, when something you're doing and something I'm doing, uh, coincidentally, wink, wink, overlap with one another, uh, and it brings us together for a singular kingdom purpose. Or when your plans and my plans coincidentally uh, converge, and now we find ourselves working together on the same path, it's been my experience that the Lord loves uh, to weave things and people and plans uh, together in these ways. Let me just give you a tiny little example. So after prayer and consideration, I have felt led by the Lord to preach through the book of Acts. And so I've been excited, really excited about getting into the Word and studying it together with you. And so I've been reading and preparing, and it just so happens, coincidentally, uh, that we're at the end of Acts chapter 1 today, Acts 1, 12 through 26. In these verses here, Luke tells us what happened in between the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There are about 10 days in between those two major events. And these verses give us details about what happened during that time. What did the disciples do for those 10 days? This is where we are in our study of Acts, and this is the section I had planned to preach from today. Now, at the same time, we're in the process of nominating new leaders for our church. The leaders of our church are called elders. However, as, as Kevin shared last week, we like to call them shepherds to emphasize the relational aspect of their role. The leaders of our church do not function like a board of directors. Instead, they function as a group of shepherds who care for, who pray for, who teach, who admonish and encourage and lead our church family. Well, over the past year, three of our leaders, Dennis Hasselbring, Jim Hobbenrich, and Richard Coffey, have either moved away or stepped aside from this role. And so we have formed a team as Jim mentioned earlier, made up of our members who have been meeting, praying, organizing this process for us. And they asked Kevin and me to use the preaching times, these first two Sundays in April, to speak on this process, to speak on the role of shepherds and to speak about this process for our church family. Therefore, the given task to me today is to speak to us about replacing leaders now, what text should I preach from? Hmm. Let me see. Was there ever a time in the New Testament when followers of Jesus were looking to replace a leader? Come on, Barrett. Think, think, think. Well, nothing's coming to mind, so let's just go ahead and look at the text I had already prepared here in Acts today. To preach from Acts chapter 1, 12 through 26. Uh, if you have not already, please open up your Bibles there. My, my, uh, my Bible, as Greg mentioned earlier, titles this section, Matthias Chosen to Replace Judas. 
oh, wait, wow, it looks like this text is about replacing leaders. Oh, that's quite a coincidence. In fact, I've titled my sermon today, Replacing Leaders. Uh, and I, I love, I love um, how the Lord weaves our plans together to bring us here this morning because I think this text um, not only is a great way to continue our study of the book of Acts, but it's a very appropriate way um, for us to enter into this season of nominating leaders for our church here at Southside. My outline's very simple. I have three practical takeaways from this text that I think are helpful instructions to us as we enter into this time of replacing leaders. Now, before I share uh, these three with you, I want to take this opportunity to talk with you about an interpretive question that I think is important to ask as we read the biblical narrative in Acts. As we read this true and this important narrative, we have to continually ask ourselves this question, which helps us then to apply what happened 2,000 years ago to what we're doing today. And as we study through Acts, we'll be asking this question quite a bit. Here's the question. Is the text we're studying descriptive or prescriptive? That's a really good question. You see, when studying the Bible, it's important to determine whether the text is descriptive or prescriptive. And here's the difference. A text is descriptive if it's simply describing something that happened, while a text is prescriptive if it's specifically teaching something that should happen. In other words, is the text just describing the way something happened back then, or is it prescribing the way something should happen today? It's a very good question to ask, interpretive question. The difference is very important. We have a great example of this in our text today with casting lots. Have you ever casted a lot? Have you ever been part of a church where casting lots was a common practice? Why not? These early Jesus followers did it. Peter did it. John did it. Matthew did it. James did it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was part of this group. So why haven't you? Why don't we cast lots in 2022 as we're seeking to replace leaders at Southside? Well, we don't cast lots because we have determined this text to simply be descriptive of this event rather than being prescriptive for the replacing of all church leaders throughout time. Now, if you're not familiar with the practice of casting lots, it was a very acceptable, it was, uh, it was even considered a sacred practice um, throughout all the Old Testament. Uh, it goes back to kind of birthed out of uh, the high priest had these two sacred stones called the Urim and the Thummim that he would keep in a pouch right here on his breastplate. And he'd use these stones to help him determine the will of God. 
So the practice of casting lots kind of came, was kind of birthed from that high priestly activity. And in this case here in Acts chapter 1, it simply consisted of taking two stones, writing the names. They had two names that they were considering, writing the two names, putting them on the stones, and then picking a stone. Uh, it's a very, as I said, it's a very respected practice, has a long Hebrew history. Now, because this is the only example of casting lots in the New Testament, and because it did occur prior to Pentecost in the coming of the Holy Spirit who would lead and guide us into all wisdom and truth, it is determined that this is descriptive and not prescriptive. So the practice of casting lots is not something that we're going to take away from their process of replacing leaders this morning. That's not one of the three that I'm going to mention to us this morning. But there are three that I do want to mention and spend our time looking at this morning. Three takeaways that I think will help us in our process of replacing leaders here at Southside. The first takeaway is this, the emphasis of this community on prayer. Let me read to you again verses... Uh, 12 through 14. This is out of the NIV 84. So this group returned following the ascension of Jesus. They returned to Jerusalem um, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. These were the 11 remaining apostles. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, who we know includes James, who would become a great leader in Jerusalem and would write one of our books in the New Testament. So this is quite a group. And what Luke tells us, he describes this remaining group all joined together constantly in prayer. Now, They had definitely learned from the example of Jesus. If you recall in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, we read, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, so the implication is here that he didn't sleep, he was up all night in prayer, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he would also designate as apostles. So when Jesus had originally chosen the 12 apostles, he had spent the entire evening and the entire morning prior to his decision in prayer. This was the example of Jesus. So here, in between the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the one event that we have recorded for us is the replacing of one of those 12 original leaders, and that decision is covered in prayer. In fact, it's as if the community decides to hold a 10-day prayer meeting. It was that important. They were all joined together constantly in prayer. Let me talk about these two words uh, real quick with you this morning, together and constantly. This word together is a favorite of Luke's. He uses it 10 times, and it only occurs one other time in all the New Testament. The word means more than just mere assembly. 
It literally means to be united together in agreement, to have a single, a singular mind and heart. So this group, which Luke tells us consists of about 120 people, were praying with this singular focus and united in their purpose. The word constantly here means to be persistent in prayer during all of your activities. In other words, you had an attitude of prayer throughout the entire day. No matter the activity you were part of, no matter what you were busy doing, you were persistent in prayer. And so this community was all joined together constantly in prayer. And I think this is an important takeaway for us. As we enter into this time of replacing leaders, we want to join together constantly in prayer about this this decision, about this time. With that in mind, as Jim mentioned earlier, uh, you should have received one of these handouts on your way in. And I just wanted, he did a great job of going over so much of this, but something I wanted to point out is on the inside of this handout is a prayer guide that begins today so that we can be a community of faith that join together, all join together constantly in prayer about this selection process. Um, So we want to be praying with that singular focus. We want to be united in our purpose um, and that's a, that's a takeaway that I think that we can take from uh, this early community of faith as they look to replace leaders. We, too, want to join together constantly in prayer about this. The second takeaway that I want us to notice together this morning is the dependence of this community on the Word of God. If you haven't before, uh, one thing you're going to notice as we study through uh, this book of Acts, is that for a book that's called Acts, much of it is actually teaching and preaching. Approximately 365 of the 1,000 verses in this book are speeches and sermons. Paul makes nine of them. Peter makes eight of them. James has one, and then the longest speech or sermon in this book is given by Stephen in chapter 7. So in the first of many speeches and sermons, Peter, this is the first one that we have of many in this book, Peter stands up among the believers, and he delivers this speech. And uh, two things that I want to point out from his speech about why this community had such dependence on the Word. First, they had such dependence because they saw Scripture as divine. That's the first reason. The reason that this community of faith had such dependence on the Word of God is because they saw Scripture as divine. They did not think that this was just some religious book. They didn't think it was some ancient, irrelevant text. They believed that the words of this book, in fact, were the very words of God. 
You see, if you believe that the words of this book are not just some good words from some ancient dudes, but instead are actually divine, that they come from the very mouth of God, then that changes how you read it. Oh, I might want to pay attention. Listen to how Peter begins his speech in verse 16. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. So right here in verse 16, Peter shares with us his understanding of inspiration. That scripture is the Holy Spirit speaking through the mouth of the author, in this case, David. These are words of David, yes, but more importantly, they are words of the Holy Spirit of God. So, this early community of faith, they had such dependence on the word because they saw Scripture as divine. Second, they had such dependence because they saw Scripture as guidance. They actually believed Scripture provided them with guidance and direction for their decision-making, and this was their practice. In verse 20, Peter says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, that's referring to Judas, and may another take his place of leadership. So based upon this guidance from Psalm 109, verse 8, Peter instructs the community of faith to replace their leadership. So they look to these words from the past to help them with their decision-making in the present. And so this community's dependence on the Word of God, because they believed it was divine guidance in their life, is a takeaway for us today. We, too, want to be a community that depends on the Word of God in that way. I look at this early faith community, community and I see their dependence on the word and I, I want to be a part of a faith community that depends on the word like that. And as we enter into this process of replacing leaders for our church family, we similarly look to scripture for divine guidance. You know, one of the common places in scripture to look is Paul's instruction to Timothy and Titus as they appointed leaders for churches. We can find these instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. I encourage you to read and to study both of these texts for guidance as you nominate leaders for Southside. Allow these texts to influence and inform your decision-making. I think... uh, you know, what, what, what we see um, in those texts 
is that Paul shares several leadership qualities that he wanted to influence and inform Timothy and Titus as they were in that process of finding leaders for those churches. And so I, I want to encourage you to read those texts and let them influence and inform your decisions as well. I think another important text to consider is Galatians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It is necessary for this text to influence and inform your decision. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. Look, this isn't a popularity contest. It's not about who's been around here the longest. It's not who's the best business leader. It is absolutely necessary for the men you nominate for these roles to be filled with the Holy Spirit. These must be men who are clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so that's another, these, we want these texts. That's, I, that, that was Colossians chapter 3 that I just quoted to you. We want these texts to influence and inform our decisions. So we want to depend. We want to depend on the Word of God to be divine guidance for us today and to influence and inform our decisions, our nominations. And then the third takeaway from this early faith community is the submission of this community to the authority of Jesus Christ. In a very real sense, in a very true sense, the church is never leaderless. So do not fret. Do not be anxious. Ever since the ascension of Jesus, the church has a leader who leads from heaven. Someone asked me the other day, who's in charge of your life group ministry? And I said, Jesus. And I, I, I promise I wasn't trying to be off-putting. I meant it. In these early followers, you see that sort of submission to the authority of Jesus Christ in their lives. Let me read to you verses 23 to 26. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which one of these two you've chosen to take over this apost apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. The lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. In case you missed it, am I just reading that? I want you to know that the community here prayed to the ascended Lord Jesus to show them who should replace Judas as an apostle. And this is significant. 
Four times in chapter one, Luke refers to the fact that Jesus is now in heaven. His focus is not on his absence. His focus is not on his inactivity, but rather on the place from which Jesus rules for the rest of the book. You see, Jesus is very much alive. It's just now he reigns from heaven. Oh, he continues to direct the affairs of the disciples, in this case, choosing which one will replace Judas as the 12th, but now he does it from heaven. Though Jesus is gone physically, he is still accessible to them by prayer. And so they pray, Lord Jesus. And then they give him this beautiful name, only given here uh, in the New Testament. It's this beautiful name. In the Greek, it's this noun. It says, you are everyone's heart knower. What a wonderful noun. What a wonderful name to give Jesus. You know everyone's heart. You are everyone's heart knower. And only you. So... Show us who you've chosen. We have found these two men that we know and that we love, that we think will do a great job, but we want you to make the choice. And so the final takeaway is the submission of this community to the authority of Jesus Christ. Look, the church is not autocratic. We do not operate based upon the will of the shepherds or the will of the ministers. Neither is the church democratic. We do not operate based solely upon the will of the people. The church is Christocentric. We operate solely based upon the will of Jesus Christ. He is the one who determines our actions. And so we look to the one who reigns from the right hand of the Father to make the choice for us. And the men we're nominating as shepherds are simply those who will humbly lead this church family under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so, church, we enter into this season of replacing leaders. Let's all join together constantly in prayer for this process. Let's look to Scripture for divine guidance to inform and influence our nominations. And let's be a community who submits this entire process to the authority of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and active. Thankful that your word, through your Holy Spirit, 
um, can be just as relevant, just as um, important to the life of the believers today as it was then. And so we're thankful to be able to enter into this season of, re, of replacing leaders here at Southside. And Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you as our leader. We, uh, we aren't looking to replace you. You're, you're, our, you're our leader. Um, and, and this process is simply nominating men who will humbly, humbly lead this church under your authority. And so we give this whole process to you, Lord. We, we look to you. Give us wisdom. Guide us through your Holy Spirit. You have given us your Holy Spirit to guide us and to help us. And Lord, um, just guide us into all truth. Um, just thankful for this church family. What a blessing it is to to, to work alongside the men and their wives and their families um, who lead this church. What a, what a tremendous honor and blessing. Um, and we give this process to you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to offer an uh, invitation uh, to anyone here this morning um, who has not made Jesus your Lord. Um, well, what a, what a day, what an appropriate day on Palm Sunday, the day when our king arrived to Jerusalem on a donkey. What an appropriate day to, you could never have before, to turn, to repent from you being the king of your life, from, from you being in charge of everything in your life. Repent from, turn from that. And allow him to be your Lord, your king. Uh, we'd love to be a part of that. If you wanted to turn and, and give, your, place your faith in Christ, put him on in baptism this morning, we'd love to do that. Let's stand together and sing.